Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So Wisconsin's Republican Senator Ron Johnson put out a statement on Homeland Security letterhead saying Hunter Biden, together with other Biden family members, profited off the Biden name. Is there any legitimacy to Senator Johnson's claims? None whatsoever. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman. It's the last ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. Even the man who served with him on that committee, the former nominee for the Republican Party, said there's no basis to this. And, you know, and all and the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Ron should be ashamed of this. Film me! Film me! You f shit! You you all of you mother Shut up! Shut the f Jesus, the hell's wrong with the people? Calm down, everybody. Oh my God, that was at a Trump rally um, or parade or something. A couple of Asian Trump fans uh, were on the receiving end of some tirade of an anti-Trump guy. You know, if you're going to insult somebody and denigrate them and use your racist slurs against somebody, etc., Try to keep the MFs distanced a little bit because it makes the audio just pretty much impossible to use. Film me! Film me! You f shakes! You! You're all of you mother! Shut up! Shut the f up, you dumb, scribbled, raising piece of. That person, that dude yelling at the Asian women who he's calling chinks, um, you know what? He thinks that he's a really good person. He does. He's got the lawn sign. He has probably the right whatever bracelet for whatever you wear now to show how good a person you are. Maybe a... uh, (laughs) Sorry, I'm asking 
who's been on this if she would like to uh, come on with me. And she's got... Oh, wait. I, I'm not allowed to tell you. I don't think I'm allowed to tell you what who has anything. Um, okay, you know what I'll do? I'll bleep out the name of the person. I'm just talking to a friend of mine who is in media as well. And this person has COVID now. She didn't. She did everything she was supposed to do. A few... Uh, for months, she's a very careful person. She's got a car. I've been in her car, and her car is immaculate. And she's got kids, like little kids, and her car is immaculate. It looks like it just came off the lot. So she's one of these people, very clean. Everything in her life is clean and organized and just perfect. And so now she's got the coronavirus, and she uh, said it's terrible. So she said to me, I'm trying to get her on the podcast. Apparently, she's um, horrifically sick with the coronavirus, so she will not be coming in. But she said to me that she thinks she had it in March, but she said that's when she felt the worst, uh, just a bad head cold, and she got tested. Then she said the symptoms became terrible right now, and she got exhaustion in the flu. Uh, she's been washing her hands and socially distancing. Uh, she said she has no strength or energy, and so I asked her if she could be back in the podcast. She said, uh, I can barely move, no. And I said, you can drink, right? And she said, no. And I said, how about edibles? And she said, COVID is no joke. I said, blast lines, which is a joke, by the way, as in cocaine. She said, shots of ginger ale. And... Uh, <laughs> I said to this young lady, and not that you need to because you're perfect, but you'll probably lose weight because she's got the flu. She said, that's the hope. Then uh, she, I said, hey, want to come on my podcast to talk about co that other one was about a week ago about COVID? And then she said, I think you don't understand how sick I am. You're like a vulture. And I said, come on. So I'm trying to get her for you guys to get this young woman with the coronavirus on the air, but apparently she's horrifically ill with it. So there you go. So uh, know that person. Remember, remind me if I don't bleep this out to bleep it. Um, and it looks like the, the virus is making a resurgence in Europe, which I don't think Donald Trump can be blamed for. I don't think so. And uh, it's spiking in some places in the United States. I'm sorry. I mean, my, my feeling on this, and I do not have a medical degree, believe it or not, my feeling on this thing is we don't know what the hell this is. We know we've gotten better treats, treatments, and we know some some good ways uh, to uh, make patients more comfortable. And, and uh, you know, the masks are a, a, a layer of protection by no, by no means foolproof whatsoever. But, I mean, it just makes sense that inhaling and exhaling uh, spittle is, is more prevented by it. Um, and then the dosage, I guess, of COVID, I guess, could be reduced. If you, I, but it, I don't know. We at one point we were supposed to wear gloves. Now we don't have to wear gloves because it doesn't hang on. I don't know. I'm sick of this virus. I don't know that I've had it. We thought we had it actually. Us, the Shattucks, back in February too, as well, or January. My family was. My wife was just her terribly sick. And nobody knew what it was. And she went to the walk-in clinic, and they said, "Hey, um, we don't know what this is. It looks like some kind of virus, but we don't we don't know what it is. So, good luck." 
so they wouldn't give her the flu stuff. Uh, and I had a horrible cold and a really odd cough that I've never had before in uh, January as well, I think. It was a crazy time for us because we had to leave our house because our house was being deleted at the time, thanks to the state of Massachusetts. That's its own story. Oh, do you want to know the story? The story of the lead? Here's the story of the, the deletting. And to, this is a cautionary tale to you and a tale about how government's always there to help you out. So we bought, we used to live in Melrose, Massachusetts, and since the town is hugely overrated, a nice town, but hugely overrated, as some towns are, the uh, the hor- horrific Superfund of a house uh, we had um, appreciated in value. So then, since we've got all these kids, it was a one, it was a two bedroom, and we have four kids, little kids, so it wasn't going to work. And it was a really small house, really cute house. We have great memories. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you you feel the same way about your so. So then we sold the house and moved uh, north of Massachusetts, uh, north of Boston, way up near New Hampshire. Now that I'm one river away from New Hampshire, I'm wondering like why didn't we just move to New Hampshire? Especially since the kids aren't in school. But you know whatever. So. So we get this old, beautiful house. It's, um, you know, not huge, but much bigger than we had. An old, beautiful farmhouse, originally built in 1726, and it's very pretty, and it's it doesn't have a lot of land, but it's got more land than we had, certainly. Um, uh, I'm getting a thing from a Twitter friend, disappointed in Mel Brooks. Who could be disappointed in Mel Brooks? Uh, uh-oh, hopefully he's okay. Uh, maybe he hates Trump. Who knows? Uh so we get this big, so we get this house, this old house, okay? And this is where you need to pay attention, especially those of you who um, are on a budget and those of you who have kids, uh, little kids especially. You know, if you have little kids, they get tested for lead all the time. And if you have an old house, anything before like 1970s, whatever, you've probably got lead in the house here or there, you know, to one degree or another. So what happens is if you go to the pediatrician and you 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 hit a certain level of lead, then the pediatrician is mandated to tell the state that uh, that you've got lead, and they send a lead inspector over. And if the lead inspector finds lead all over the place, then you have to de-lead your house, and the state can help with some financing in the short term, but uh, not all of it. And so, so anyway, so. This is this is a tragedy, a tragedy. Listen to me. So we get this new house, new old house. <clears throat> no, the kids are fine. Everybody has normal lead, normal lead. That's fine, you know, and they're all little kids, and that's great. So no problem. So when we get the new house, in the next town over, they're having like the town uh, yard sale day where everybody's putting out, selling all sorts of stuff. So we drive around there. We just moved in. We need some stuff. Drive around, and, yeah, we got a great uh, bench, and we got a great uh, table and a great old map of the town and and some some excellent things. There's, you know, people are selling antiques and this and that. So we go to this place, and they've got a beautiful old um, trunk, steamer trunk. This great old square steamer trunk, probably 110 years old or whatever, beautiful brown. You know, the, the ones with all the the uh, bindings, whatever. It was just gorgeous thing. And we thought, wow, this is great. We can use this for our dining – no, I'm sorry, our coffee table in the family room. 
so we can just put stuff on it, like uh, food and whatever, to hang out and magazines, whatever. And inside, we'll just put all of our blankets inside, and those will be, um, and that'll be like the central area. And it was great, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so we'd, you know, I'd bring in food, we'd watch movies, this and that, whatever. And it was the old steamer trunk, wonderful. So then we bring our little kid, who then must have been, I should know his age, I don't, but uh, who then must have been one or something, and he's going to his normal pediatrician uh, appointment. And my wife calls me and says, oh my God, Tom, they just tested his lead, it's through the roof. It's a big, it's a 18 or whatever it is, I don't know, it's a big number. So I'm like, crap, that's great, that sucks. Uh, poor dude, and she said, uh, "Yeah, well, so apparently, in the the, st- the standards have changed. You know, like ten years ago, this wouldn't have been such a high number, but they've moved the standards down." So she said, "Yeah," and unfortunately, she has to now um, let the state know. And they I say, "Okay, whatever." And we're worried about the little guy because his lead number is high. You know, it can screw kids up. So my wife goes total like uh, Delta Force anti-lead mission, and she grabs all these lead tests from the from Amazon Prime or whatever. All these little swabs and kits and this and that and all these little things. She's swabbing everything left and right, everything checking for lead and this and and the trunk comes up hot for lead. And that trunk, you know, we had been eating off of, essentially. And like little kids, you know, we're bringing tater tots, whatever. The little kid's eating right off the trunk. He's holding onto the trunk. Some of the little tots are like on the trunk sometimes. And he's like almost literally licking the trunk. Yeah, as little kids do, you know, he's, you know, he's messy and he just holds onto it to stand up. whatever. Like, oh my God, this trunk ledified this little kid. I didn't. I didn't even know. I mean, the thing, the thing didn't seem to really appear to be painted. It seemed like it was stained or something. Or maybe they did something to the leather. But no, this thing was beaming with lead. Every inch of it. So we're like, oh my Christ, this is terrible. So I smash the trunk and throw it outside. A friend of mine, VB, you know him, he told me, hey, don't, don't, it's too good, nice a trunk. Don't get rid of it. Just hide it somewhere. I was like, no, I can't have it anywhere near... It's like kryptonite, and I can't have it irradiating the kids. And I couldn't put it just out in the curb. And I know it's tragic that I should have, especially you you antique enthusiasts. I couldn't put it out in the curb because what if somebody brings it home to their kids? So, unfortunately, I had to smash it, and it was – well, I guess that human life is at stake here, so I should be fretting a little less about the the trunk. So, anyway, over to the house comes the lead inspector. She's not awesome. Let me just tell you. Hang on. I think I'll sit here. By the way, I'm with Jerry Kelly tomorrow morning. Again, today, this time, it's the uh, 3-4 split. Okay, Wednesday and Thursday. Last weekend, it was the 1-3 split. It was Monday and Wednesday. So anyway, the lead inspector comes. She's already not awesome. She's like, by the way, if you just so you know, if I get a resistance from you, this and that, we will bring law enforcement, we'll do this, and like the kids are there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just do your lead thing. She's being... She's over the top. She's not great. She's she's angry. She it, We'll get to her later. Uh, I'll let Alice get to her later, actually. She's the one you want to... Alice is, by the way, heading to work as we speak. So, 
else was going to be in the podcast, but she is. Um, uh, but she is. There you go. She is. Oh yeah, one of the kids woke up the baby, and so, um, so she is unable to. She was unable to. She had to put the kid back to sleep, and it didn't happen. So anyway, Lad Inspector comes over. This woman, perfect government worker, exactly what you think. She's like, okay, so this thing I have, this uh, lead finding gun, can sh- can uh, can uh, detect lead through thirteen layers of paint. I'm like, great, this house is built in seventeen twenty six. That's gonna, we're gonna have thirteen cases of lead. You know, only going back to nineteen ten. So she does her little thing, gun around the house. Everything comes up hot for lead. It's all everything. Everything is hot for lead. So. She's like, okay, well, and then the nightmare starts. So we have to get the house deleted now. It takes like months and months. She, she actually was putting it off, putting it off, and putting off our, our like the report she had to do, even though there was a compliance date, or else we would have to go to court. So at one point, we actually had to go to like adults are bad court because of her error because she just pushed stuff off. Anyway, she sucked. But anyway, so eventually we have to get the people in to take care of lead. And we already overpaid for this house, didn't have enough money to move into this house. And, like, everything, the moment we moved in here, everything broke. Like, the dishwasher broke, the washing machine broke. Like, everything broke. My car broke. I had to get a new car. I had to get, a, like, a, a loser loan for a car. Like, if you were to walk out of Joliet Prison after a 46-year-old stint, uh, they would have given you a better loan for a car than they gave me. So anyway, I got this loser loan for a car, and so then the lead things happen. So then they're like, "Okay, so carry the fourth. That's like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars." And then, which time I puked, my heart stopped, and then exploded out of my chest. And then uh, when I woke up, uh, my wife had managed to, with the mortgage company, you know, do this and that, and this and uh, federal loan, and this and that, and then and this, and somehow I don't even know how much it costs because my wife knows that that's going to be the thing when I finally take my final breath. All I know is that they might have just said, because we had, they said it was going to be like over $100,000. We had $0 in the bank. $0. I'm not saying like, a, oh, a little slush fund, 10 grand, just in case. No, no, no. We had $0. Um, and we were, and this was not a good situation. So they might have might as well have just told me it was $6 million. doesn't matter. All I know is that, we can never move out of this house at this point. I'll be paying off this loan till I believe 2070. And that's just the lead part of it. Okay, but that's fine. So anyway, they come in and then the construction crews are here starting just before Christmas, which is December uh, like 18th. And they got done in like June or July. <laughs> construction crews doing lead remediation, etc. at our house. There's nothing that makes life more stable especially with kids, especially then in the time of COVID, then construction crews going up and down and in and out. And then the HVAC people had to come in and out, up and down. At one time, one point, my wife, my wife <coughs> heard one of the uh, like HVAC people complain about the rug rats in the house. Our house, our kids, is talking about rug rats. Yeah, that's great. So that was just a uh, a great time for us to go through with uh, just the lead re- remediation. So here's the uh, – it sucked. It was awful, and there are still signs of like uh, – you know, this is a, a house that was really well, nicely appointed. 
sometime in the 1800s or 1700s. And a lot of that stuff, old fixtures are all gone now. The, the contractors just like ripped them off and threw them in a pile or threw them out or who knows. And all that night, a lot of the nice trim is gone. Like a lot of the stuff that made the uh, old doors from the 40s with beautiful windows with all that, uh, you know, rippled lint window look because they're old panes. Gone. They had to get rid of them because the lead is like, oh, that hurt, man. They took away so much of the charm of the place. Fuckers. I'm mad at just even thinking about this right now. So here, that's a long way of saying that we are at that point, we had to move into a hotel for a month, which is really uh, a cost effective thing to do. Let me tell you. Jesus. So anyway, January and February, we were like in this uh, hotel. And that's when we all got what we believe to be COVID. Um, so I'm glad I got to have this therapy session. But here's so what I'm telling you is this. If you're a couple or a married couple and you have little kids, don't bring any freaking antiques into the house unless you are absolutely sure that it is not lead. Because our little trunk, steamer trunk uh, coffee table that we enjoyed for one week. That trunk cost us $10. A $10 bill it cost us. In truth, it cost us about $130,000. And now it's gone, and, and uh, well, it is what it is. So when we say my wife's heading off to work, I think you know why. Oh, that said, we live in a house, and we're still allowed to stay here, and we're making payments, I believe. My wife doesn't let me see the finances because I, I don't want to see. I've seen, I've taken, I've walked by her huge spreadsheet of of all our debt, credit cards. I'm sure you're, you're, you're like this too. I mean, I don't know anybody now who's not at least partially screwed. <laughs> but, uh, but, oh my God, her spreadsheet is like, you can scroll down for 45 minutes and you will not hit the end. It is... All it is rocking and rolling, man, with all, all these payments and this and that and this. <sighs> so, uh, so yes, don't please be careful if you're antiquing. You know, it can uh, upend you more than you think. That said, they've done some. On the good side, here's the here's the here's the silver lining. On the good side, because they did things like they had to take off all the siding in the house. Um. All of it. Uh, those are things that we never could have afforded before, but since it was done in the name of lead, it was done. And although that's a loan, still, anyway. And they also they also redid uh, or did the third floor of the house, which was an attic, and now is a hobbit-sized uh, area that there's a kid sleeping up there generally in the playroom, in the classroom now as well. But I can't really go up there. I can get wedged in to the wall. Okay. So please be careful with uh, antiques. Don't do it to yourself. Take uh, take my lesson. So that was government helping us out, by the way, helping us out. Even though, by the way, we, when we got rid of that uh, trunk, uh, all the lead went down to zero, all gone. It was just the trunk. It was never the house. So all this house work we had to do was for a problem that had nothing to do with that. The house wasn't bleeding lead. It was just a trunk. But the state doesn't care. They're not there to care for you, remember. No, they're there to help you good and hard, whether or not you like it. So they're there to make sure that you're safe and the surrounding people are safe. So they're going to close your business and destroy you. It's for your own good, they'll tell you. So just take it. A lot of times, the uh, stuff that the state has you do for your own good feels like it's horribly devastating. And, of course, it is. 
which is why if Joe Biden wins this election, if he on a whim decides to close down the country, and I don't know how that would look because I don't know his, the executive power. Certainly, he could any any federal institution he could shut down, but I don't know. I'm sure there's a way that they can could, could compel you to do it, but I don't like the idea of people shutting down stuff anymore here. Um, we need to crawl out from under this suck year immediately. So, <clears throat> where are we? Let us see. So, um, Joe Biden, as you know, they called a lid uh, till Thursday, although he did do a couple of quick hits from his house. The lid is generally for them for the gathered uh, scrum outside, for the gathered media who hangs around his house, and he's not going to make an appearance. But he did make an appearance on a, a local NBC show. I think the local show may have been in North Carolina, uh, I think. So anyway, the local reporter, the comms guy's trying to rap her, saying, no, 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 that's it, that's it, that's it. You're getting out of here. We're getting him out of here before you ask a Hunter question. But, man, she uh, she persisted. And uh, she got the question in. And that's all the time yes, we have. I, I so just have sorry. one more question because I'm the vice president. It affects Wisconsin. So Wisconsin's Republican Senator Ron Johnson put out a statement on Homeland Security letterhead saying Hunter Biden, together with other Biden family members, profited off the Biden name. Is there any legitimacy to Senator Johnson's claims? None whatsoever. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman, it's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. Even the man who served with him on that committee, the former nominee for the Republican Party, said there's no basis to this. And, you know, and, all, and the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Ron should be ashamed of himself. Well, I'm not sure the, ba- the vast majority of intelligent people have said that. The vast majority of a bunch of former intelligence folks all signed a letter saying that this is Russian disinformation. There's no sign that it's Russian disinformation. And, um, and you know, I mean, Biden's just denying it. That, that, but he didn't deny technically the content of the emails. He denied that Hunter was taking a check and enriching himself off of Joe's uh, position. We'll see how it works out. I th- I'm still astounded that there are no... You really can't get this news story out there. You can't, you can't get it from the AP. I mean, wire services don't really have it. All they have is that there's Russian disinformation was being used to manipulate Rudy Giuliani, who then tried to produce this shaky piece of uh, intel or whatever. But that's as close as they get. They're simply, they're simply, um, they've uh, blackballed the story. It's, 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 it's nowhere. It's only in conservative uh, news channels. And you would think just the part of the story that has to do with social media shutting it down would be enough reason to run with something because that's an astounding thing that happened here. And the fact that the the you know you've got the guys at Hunter's hard drive, you've got the email. I don't care about him him doing uh, coke in his his life. Obviously, the dude's got some issues. But the part about uh, Biden and foreign leaders in contacts, et cetera, that's important stuff. That's well within the within the lines of fair play, and it should be covered. And the fact that it's not covered, that's a dangerous thing. You know, I work for a newspaper, but we're we're a newspaper in a city in Massachusetts. I can I can write editorials and run op eds all day about this stuff, but we don't have a, a Washington bureau. We don't have Delaware bureau. I mean, most. Traditional newspapers at this point don't. They don't. They were. Resp- you, you wait on wire services at this point 
to give you the meat of the story, and uh, and uh, they're not touching it. So I mean, and if you dare ask the guy, you know they're gonna totally. If you ask the guy, you know the rest of the press crew, if there's not a lid on what Biden's doing, they're gonna maul you because the press crew. I mean, these are Democrats, and they're in it to win it for Biden. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not even trying to be the cliche, the, the liberal media, uh, mainstream media, MSDNC stuff. But it is just true. I mean, just, that's how they are. And I talked to a couple of media people today, liberals, about why this thing wasn't covered. And they jumped down my throat. How dare they? This is just a scheme by Rudy Giuliani to <coughs> to affect the election. And it has Steve Bannon's fingerprints all over. This is total crap. And yeah, so it is. That's right. Giuliani definitely wants to use this for the election. Definitely wants to use it to hit Trump before the election. And so does Bannon. Of course, that doesn't change the fact that at its core, they've got this guy's computer and they've got receipts that shows that, you know, it was Hunter's computer. And they've got these emails, many of which are being corroborated by the recipients on the other end of the emails. So, yeah, I'm sorry. It's dirty tricks and people are shady. and this. But at the end of the day, you've got something here that you should not be ignoring. You know, one of the one of the people I talked to today said, "Well, I mean, if you're going to run something like that, then you better run something that show that, that has all the Trump China connections." And of course, and I looked at the AP and looked at my newspaper, and of course, we'd run every China Trump uh, story. But um, that is uh, that is your, and that's why I mean, I know that if you're listening to this, then you probably listen to Jerry and Kirk Minahan and. Um, and, uh, you know, and I hope, like, even, I hope that you listen to, to podcasts that aren't, uh, I mean, that, like, aren't pro-Trump as well. I mean, I listen to the the, the editor's podcast, National Review, is very good. The Commentary Magazine podcast is very good. Uh, Dan Harris is a very bright guy. Uh, Joe Rogan, uh, Ruben, and uh, the guys from Reason Magazine, the Fifth Element podcast. I mean, you can get your sources from a diverse um, you know, group of people all along the political spe- spectrum, but please do, please listen to these. These other people are doing actual journalism and having actual um, conversations and doing uh, analysis because it's not happening in traditional media. So you got to get the information here. And I mean, I try to bring some, and I know that uh, tomorrow morning, me and Jerry will uh, be talking about the stuff and the debate stuff. But it doesn't even matter if it's on the left. Listen to Grant, Glenn Greenwald. There, the 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 number of people who are dealing simply in news, regardless, is it's dwindling or it's dwindled to almost nothing in traditional media, and that is dangerous. That is bad news because if it's dwindled to nothing, now you can doubt. Here's your preview of what the Biden administration will look like. The media will be completely and totally mothballed, like they are right now with this coverage. They don't want to be in the bad side of Joe Biden. They want access to him. They want to be able to get in the White House and fist bump with him and, and be, feel included. They're Democrats in media. They want to enjoy the Biden administration. Some of them want gigs. So it's just, yeah. Man, what a, what a year. So what, Trump tomorrow night, what do you think? My bet, you know what, before we get into this stuff, let me tell there was a, a interesting bit of audio today with Brian Stelter of CNN, um, who's actually a very good example of the problem, 
because he believes that he is a good compass for the truth and accuracy. But he is not. He is a radically uh, a leftist, uh, left of center uh, person and an activist himself. He believes that he is a special um, a special agency over the truth. And, of course, he does not. Uh, but, you know, he's got a gig, so good for him. But he was on with Susan Ferriccio of the Washington Examiner. They were on this conference call when he talked about the media. She went after him pretty good at some stuff. The fact that he's giving this a leaving alone, the Hunter Biden stuff. But, oh, they were all in with less corroboration on the Russia um, investigation, which was shaking and fraudulent from day one. And news outlets knew it. Mike, Michael Steele, Chris Steele, Christopher Steele, <coughs> was shopping this thing around D.C., for quite a while, they knew that it was crap, but they couldn't resist. It was too good. But uh, it's a different story now. He's running for president of the United States. And this is serious. These, this is not last year's news. It's whether or not his son was coordinating to get him to talk to these Ukraine oligarchs. And he was benefiting from it. I mean, it's just it's, it's really dirty. Okay, and Brian, it, Brian, it needs to be looked at. Forgive me, Brian Stelter. Then I want to move on to the Google, which is a related story. Brian. I, you know, you, I, I said it was last season. You're saying it's new. Uh, I think bottom line is we don't know what is real and what is fake in these emails, if there is anything real in them. Yeah, but and, that didn't stop any from, from, from reporting the Mueller and the dossier and all that I stuff. You're bitter. Yeah. I understand that you have a lot of resentment well, about it. Yeah, I know you're bitter. I understand you have a lot of resentment. Jesus. Yeah, well, bitter, Brian. Maybe she's got a right to be pissed off because you distorted the truth. And frigging wrecked the country for two years, pompous jerk. Now, now we have ethics. Okay, now we have ethics. Now, that now it's da- don't you dare, don't you dare act like newsrooms didn't have ethics. Don't you dare. That's a little finger in face to me. Oh, mansplain it to me. In 2017 and 2018. Well, I know they did. You you can don't dare me all you want, Brian. I've been doing this for 30 years. So say whatever you want. It's my view. And I have a right to say it. I was invited on the show. Your view is that the news media was unethical with Mueller? Hang on a second. I don't quite get what you're just... It's my view. Let me bring bring in Sarah Fisher. Yeah, Mr. Host. Good instincts. You don't want to get this too interesting. I didn't discard the Mueller stuff. I was much more skeptical because I knew the sourcing. And I knew where I came from on Capitol Hill, where I have stood in the building for the past few decades. I had real reason to doubt that stuff, and I constantly did. And it turned out a lot of it was a bunch of bunk. So when you say Mueller stuff. There are people in prison. We have to use that skepticism. We have to even now with the Biden stuff. Okay. Let's use the skepticism, but don't ignore it. Okay, Susan, let's just Brian come back in this, and then I'm going to ask Tony to help us through the Google case. Uh, Brian, go ahead. All right, one moment. I'm in the worst possible uh, host in the history of the Earth right now. I have no good instincts, but go right ahead and finish up really quickly, and then we can get to the more boring, mundane stuff. I agree with you. It should not be ignored, but not. A, I think there's a difference between reporters looking into it in their newsrooms versus going on the air with it when it's unvetted and. Unvetted. Oh, how beautiful. You never did that with Trump stuff. That, that's just BS. Hang on a second, Susan. Go ahead, Brian. Hang, yeah, Susan, just, Susan, just a second. Just, Susan, just a second. See if you both speak. We can't hear either of you. Brian, go ahead. I understand. Let me just say briefly, it's grievance politics. It comes from the right. It happens every day. Newsrooms in America are very careful about this. <laughs> that's what it is. It's grievance politics. It's not really happening. Nice gaslighting, Brian. This stuff. I know viewers and readers don't see it, but it happens every day. Slow, cautious vetting happens every day. Okay, I do want to move. Horse bleep, by the way, about his slow, cautious vetting. Horse bleep. He may actually believe that, but it doesn't happen every day. The Democrat media, and that's what they are, they don't think that they're left media. They think they're right down the middle. 
They think they just happen to be hovering around the truth. They don't possibly understand. I mean, the same way they don't understand Dunkin' Donuts and Walmart. They don't understand how somebody could be different than that. It doesn't make any sense. You go to Columbia Journalism School, and then you, you, you buy a loft in Brooklyn, and you get a curly mustache like a hipster or whatever and skinny pants. And I mean, that's what the cool people, anybody else is dumb, undereducated, and lesser. And, oh, yeah, but we played that uh, NBC uh, local uh, reporter asking uh, Biden the question. Well, here's the NBC. Of course, they're an affiliate of NBC uh, National. And this is how NBC National um, worked it into their story about uh, Joe Biden. It comes as Biden gave an interview to a local TV station in another important battleground state, Wisconsin, talking about those new debate rules. I think it's a good idea. I think there should be more... more uh, um, uh, limitations on us not interrupting one another. And the reports about his son, Hunter Biden, and claims he profited off the Biden name. It's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. The vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. So there's the NBC National News. That's all you're going to hear about that. Claims that he benefited and then Biden shoots it down. That's all they give you. That's all you'll get if you're listening to the national news tonight about that. Great. Great. Joe Biden is his own man. His campaign is run by Democrats, many of them conventional Democrats for many decades. And there, there are no shadowy figures. That's the CNN fact checker. That's the last final filter before the information is given to you. You're supposed to trust that guy. Holy hell. Uh, where do we start? We started off at... The, the guy yelling at Asian people, not, not, listen to this guy. And this is why, I mean, we always talk about. Two more hogs got the fever. But man, the anger, the anger is so incredible. Just like Maggie Haberman managed to like uh, uh, retweet the story about Hunter Biden. And people called her Maga Haberman. God damn you, Maggie, how dare you? How dare you? These folks, on the, I'm sorry, folks on the, on the on the left, but you are unhinged and angry people, and you have been for a few years now. Film me, film me, you chicks, dumb chicks. You are you, you all you mother. Shut up, shut the up, you dumb shriveled brazen piece. You are the guy. That's a guy calling Asian women chinks. Uh, so um. Which is, you know, he's the guy's uh, dirtbag. But, you know, they were wearing Trump hats. So they have it coming. The moment you wear a Trump hat, you're dehumanized. You lose your status as a homo sapien. And you're to be treated um, and abused. And deservedly so because you've thrown in with the Hitlerian uh, authoritarian leader of the United States. Oh, you know, and that's it. You're dehumanized. Some people get to be sainted no matter what. And no matter how, you know, vicious or vile they are, they are considered uh, more than human, advanced, more advanced than simply human. And they're put in clover and sainted no matter how disgusting they are. And if something happens to them, if somehow they get found out for being a vile uh, bottom feeding cretin, you know, misogynist, disgusting creep that you'd never want to have any your daughter around. Well, then they're not going to blame that kind of person for, for that behavior. No, 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 no. It's got to be existential uh, factors 
that led to it. It's not that he's a freaking dirtbag whatsoever. No, no, no. This is time for careful introspection and mournful analysis of how this could possibly have happened. We're all still kind of trying to process this one. So legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin was suspended by The New Yorker and took a leave of absence from CNN after co-workers reportedly said that during a Zoom conference, he was, well, masturbating. So I know that you worked with him, Sonny, but from a legal standpoint, it, what is the defense here if they want to rake him over the fire? Give me hope, Sonny. Well, you know, I think there's no question, Whoopi, that if he were physically in an office at work, that this would be a fireable right. uh, offense. He would, there would be grounds for termination. Right. But this is unprecedented right. in a sense. We're in these unprecedented times. There's a global pandemic, and uh, he was on a virtual work call. I, I feel sorry for the guy in a way yeah. because I do feel sorry. I kind of like his uh, reportage on CNN about the Constitution. Uh, he's pretty good on that, and, right. the, and the Supreme Court. I don't understand why no one said, Jeffrey, listen, what you, we can see you. I don't understand why no one had the, the presence of mind to say, dude, do you know everyone can see you? Might have been shock. I mean, it just... Shock? That's yeah, a lot shock of shock would be people. Comfort. That's, that's a whole bunch of shock people. Why did no one have his back? No one helped him. Don't they know that the coronavirus has forced everybody into their basements? My God, how could this happen to Jeffrey? You've heard his reportage. Sure, fine, he fondled himself in front of women on a Zoom call, you know, thinking God knows what thoughts to women who very well could have been triggered by this from previous uh, situations in their lives, but no. It's about Jeffrey. Oh. I, I feel sorry for the guy in a way. I kind of like his uh, reportage yes. on CNN about the Constitution. Uh, he's pretty good on that and, right. the, and the Supreme Court. That's right. That's right. And people who didn't, didn't do that, didn't defile themselves in front of a group of women, um, you know, on a, a mandatory Zoom call, People who didn't do that but just happened to be wearing Trump hats, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't get the, uh, their reportage doesn't matter. They don't get the COVID excuse. Go after them. Destroy them. Film me. Film me. You f***ing dumbass. You, you're all of you mother Shut up. Shut the up, you dumb, scribbled, brazen piece of You know. I am not a violent person. I am not a tough person. I don't even know if I've been... I guess I've been in a fight, but I think the, the fights I've been in are consisted of me officially being declared in a fight and then being punched and then the fight being called. But that guy needs a beating, doesn't he? I'm not suggesting anybody do it. Please don't do it. I don't... Uh, the guy just... You know what? If he got beat... For saying that to those Asian women, he was getting uh, what was coming to him. They're getting what was coming to him. Right. Well, that's what he needed. <sighs> so on with Jerry tomorrow. And I like going on Callahan's show. I enjoy it very much. I like... Uh, so, you know, in my time in WEEI, nobody remembers I was even there because so many other people... <laughs> 
so many other people had more consequential um, employment. Sir. Basically, I did it to get into radio. Well, I guess Kirk did too um, to get into radio because he got a job first at the website. <clears throat> but once you're there, you know, if you're scheming to get in, then then you use anything you can to, to get on, to get over there. And I was, um, so I got in, I was 30 years old when I got into radio. Into radio, I say. I got hired as the receptionist. The receptionist. 30 years old, 31 years old, one of the two. And, and um, so, you know, talk about starting from the bottom. I was starting from the bottom. The bottom was way up for me. I was way far away from programming or whatever. I was never going to be in the, I was the receptionist. And I knew nothing about radio, knew nothing. I had, I had sent Jason Wolf, who was a PD of EEA. I had sent him, I think, a couple of resumes and did an application, I think, right after 9-11, or maybe right before, saying, hey, I'll be the best producer in the world. Please just hire me. And, like, wrote this outrageous cover letter or whatever. And he didn't hire me, and he shouldn't have either. It's like, no, no, you, you, the way you prove that you, that you deserve to get in is by getting in. Kind of like Bud Fox, right? Into Gordon Gecko's office. You get in. So, and they, they say uh, in radio, one of the things that they told me as I was getting into my receptionist job was the toughest job to get in radio is the first job. But anyway, I got the job as the receptionist. I was absolutely qualified to be the receptionist. I had been a hotel concierge for a lot of years. Well, seven years or whatever it was. And um, and I could work a phone and a PBX system like nobody's business. I could fold envelopes with the better, best of them. Man, I could do FedEx uh, operations and get you tracking numbers uh, like a Jedi of package movements. I was just a so, – so, um, so, yes, I was qualified to be – although it was scary, you know, because the concierge job – is a, a real job, and certainly some of those guys make a lot of money. And and you know, there's it's a nice way to live. You eat for free. You get all sorts of kickbacks from whatever. You deal in a lot of cash, or at least they used to. But I'm not sure anymore. Um, so I got to the radio station, and I didn't. Uh, yes, and I got like a. And of course, I was working at the front desk of a radio station where they said EEI, RKO, AEF, and ninety three point seven at that point. Um, and uh, they said I'd get some OT. And I really didn't. I got a little bit. But I made like 15, 13 bucks an hour. I don't know. But it was a step down. So I remember like getting the job and, and my dad telling me, saying, uh, all right, Tom, it's a little late to change your career. And I was like, oh, man, that hurts. Because uh, I was 30 years old. And I was a 30-year-old male receptionist. And I was like, man, I am. this is more than humiliating. Most receptionists, I think, at the time were female or uh uh, had female tendencies, we'll say. I don't know, but uh, so so you know, I go there and um, first person who said hello to me, there was a big welcome email. I go to my first day of the job, a big welcome email saying, "Welcome, say hi to Tom Shattuck. He's your new rail receptionist." And uh, first person who came to say hi was Dale Arnold, actually, who was really nice. Hey, hello, hi, Tom. It's Dale. He was a really nice guy. And um, and then. In the middle of my first day, I got the flu, and I was immediately just felled by this horrible super virus flu, and I was one floor below laying on the bathroom floor and went up and told the, the 
person who was covering for me on the front desk of my reception desk that I had to go home. So I thought, man, I've ruined this career already. But I came back. I came bouncing back. And uh, so the people I met, of course, I had listened to RKO and EEI forever. So meeting these people in person was awesome. And I listened here and there to AF. When I grew up in Winchester, we didn't really get AF all that well, although some friends listened. But to like meet LB was great. Lyndon Byers, guy was awesome, and he was awesome to me as the front desk guy, thirty years old. Uh, you know, it, 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 well, like it wasn't. It, it wasn't a superstar um, occupation to have. Although I was at least in, I got to listen to the radio, so I was thrilled with it. But uh, no, LB was great, and Jerry was great. Jerry was great. Hi, Tom. How you doing? He was just a nice guy. And almost everybody was great. John Dennis was a nice guy. I remember Dennis one time coming, running back to the desk and saying, can you trace calls? Because somebody had threatened his life or something. He wanted me to trace the call and get the cops <coughs> going after him. Back then it was uh, Numi. Bob Newmeyer was a nice enough guy. He just uh, He was a bit of a – it's funny. Numi was a funny guy because we used to have this day called <laughs> – it was so humiliating being – people who knew me then probably don't want to hear this, but obviously it was humiliating being a 31-year-old male receptionist. <clears throat> and it was so humiliating that I used to use it out like to, if I ever talked to women to just tell them because it was – I thought, I can't say anything more degrading this than this. It was like George Costanza saying, I live with my mother, I'm whatever. So um, one of my jobs – and this this is – I used to contemplate suicide every time this – would come around was every like first Thursday of every month cupcakes would come into the building and so it was cupcake day and so one of my jobs and this is when I always thought you know what I, I can't do this I can't go on the PA and announce it as cupcake day but they all wanted me to and so I'd have to say hi everybody good afternoon just want to let you know that it's cupcake day please come to the front desk and and uh, have some icing on a cake cupcakes delicious cupcakes from icing on a cake once again it's cupcake day and I'd like like turn off the PA thing and then think, okay, should I just toss myself off the fourth floor window here and, uh, and just end it or whatever? And then somebody undoubtedly would come out from management and say, Tom, thanks for the cupcake uh, announcement. Could you do it once more? And I'd say, oh, man, why? why how am I not just sucking on a tailpipe of a running car right now? And uh, But anyway, I'd do it. Cupcake day. But Numi used to come out. I remember Numi one time for cupcake day. First of all, how he would take like dozens of cupcakes. He didn't give it bleep. And uh, not surprisingly, and the cupcakes were pretty damn good. Um, and uh, but Newmeyer, Bob Newmeyer, <laughs> I used to. Uh, he came walking in one day, and I'm like, "It's cupcake day." I say, "Hey, Bob, we have cupcakes here," and he would say to me, "Ah, oh, yeah, I don't touch that stuff," just to let me know that he would never, you know, he's, uh, you know, he doesn't touch that stuff. You don't have to, don't impress the male receptionist. But one time, I also saw Newmeyer. I worked. I lived in Beacon Hill at this time, in a. Bachelor pad, not Beacon Hill, like uh, not where Ally McBeal lived or whatever. Uh, to to use a current reference, right? Um, um, but one time I saw Numi walking on. I was walking towards the bus to take the bus to work, and Numi was walking towards me around the Longfellow Bridge, and he was shirtless and all very sweaty. So I guess he had been jogging, whatever. But now he's just walking, and he walks towards me, <laughs> and I walk to my. I see him, and I know that he's going to know me from work from Intercom. I say, hey, Numi. He said, oh, hey. Later on, his shift starts for the Dale and Numi show, and 
he comes over to me, or makes a special trip out of his way to the front desk to make sure he can talk to me and says, by the way, I'm, usually I'm running. <laughs> just in case. Because I saw him walking, and that way, and sorry, that would be just uh, dishonorable. So he let me know usually he's running. Okay, I get it. I get it. He's a nice enough guy, though. And uh, let's see. Unfortunately, and I wish I had something bad to say, but almost all those. Ordway was a nice guy. Um, some of the producers, a couple of producers may have been jerks. Um, Ordway was a nice guy. Howie was a nice guy. Howie Carr. Um, VB used to come in to sub. He was a really good guy. Todd Feinberg was a hell of a good guy. Um, still is, and we used to talk then because they'd listen. They'd see that I was this guy in a demo that they were looking for, listening to talk radio at the front desk. And um, and uh, yeah, Feinberg and I used to talk. I used to talk to DePietro, De P- John DePietro, who had the had the midday slot at RKO for a bit. And DePietro was one of these guys who saw, who knew he's street smart. He knew that I was looking to get into the business, so he gave me stuff to do that would help him. He said, "Hey." Can you tell me? Can you look for topics for me and uh, whatever? And I was happy to. And he knew that I was a guy who wanted to get into it. So, so I would find him topics, and he'd look at this and say, "This is why we're not doing this. this is why we're not doing this." But I was talking. He was used, I was learning from him. And then he had me help out with his caption contest, and I had taken a, a bunch of web classes so I could do a little bit on the web. Once I did a little bit on the web, I did a lot on the web. RKO needed a lot of web help. Um, it. Because the person who was doing the web had been arrested for murder, he's now in jail. He murdered his wife, and so, um, so they brought me, and I did more web stuff. And then, like the the RKO guy, the the guy, the uh, it was the executive producer named Rich Carberry, a great executive producer. Just wanted to, they wanted to know about me. Asked me what my passions were, this and that, and I said I would love to learn to be a producer in radio. And he said, "Okay, I'm going to get you." Um, I'll let you come in weekends and learn about radio. And finally, I got into the programming part of it and on weekends did overnights and learned how to run the board badly. Uh, but, but I learned how to run the board and run shows like uh, Coast to Coast. And and then in the morning, Mo Lazier would come in and Pat Whitley and all. The, and it was so incredible to be in there with the board and the radio and all the drops and all. The, I mean, for a guy who would, I always wanted to get into it, it was just incredible. So, uh... Oh, it's just so fun, and you control all. The, oh, so I was so thrilled to be a part of it. Thrilled to be a part of it. And then um, at RKO, I was doing a little bit of that stuff, but my I but I technically worked for the accounting department. They didn't want me creeping away to programming, so they said Tom can't go to any of the meetings. They called a meeting. They wanted me to be in an RKO meeting. And the program, the accounting boss said, "No, Tom cannot go to a meeting. He's to work at the front desk. That's his job. He's not. This is not to build his dreams in radio." And so they brought the meeting. The program director, an executive producer, and somebody else from RKM brought the meeting to the front desk and pulled up chairs. So, um, and that was like just great. And then they've had a couple of meetings there at the front desk for me. And they could tell that I wanted to be in programming more than anything. And I spent a year being the, the receptionist. By the time half that year was done, I was already essentially almost into RKO. And um, it was just, what a blast. And then then a program director suddenly quit because he had leaked information about the Celtics or something. I'm mean, the, the APD, the, the, the assistant program director quit. And then the program director needed somebody to help him to do be a office coordinator or whatever, do odds and ends for them 
you know, timesheets, uh, freelance stuff, reports, that kind of thing. So I, at that point, physically got to move away from the front desk into WRKO, and it was a dream come true. And then that program director got a job at Fox News, Fox News Radio in Boston. And while they waited for a new program director, they installed me in the program director's office with all the files and all the archives. And I'm a guy who grew up loving WRK, loving talk radio. And I'm like essentially running the thing now. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I can listen to this. I remember all going through Howie's, um, Howie's file and all the complaints about him. They were hilarious. And all these reviews, et cetera. I remember reading a review of VB's review. And him. And one of the review questions is um, – <laughs> is what is your biggest complaint? And it said, dealing with the boss's bare feet. And it was just a it was just a, 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 a dream come true. But of course, you know, I had been super promoted or moved and didn't know anything about radio, really, you know. So I had to, had to uh, you know, I got, then essentially they brought in a program director. Hurricane Katrina happened. The program director was away. Management was away at this outing. And I essentially ran along with, uh, the new staff, Mary, what is Mary? Mary, Jesus, I can't remember Mary's name. And Marga Bassett. I ran uh, our coverage essentially of Hurricane Katrina. Um, ran PSAs for the Red Cross. Other things, you know, we did. Uh, we flew um, one of the reporters over to Louisiana, and um, and anyway, I, I kind of ran that special crisis for RKO programming wise, even though I didn't know what I was doing in. Really, it was from the, the, the news staff helped me and the on-air people worked with me and they were awesome. And that's when they officially made me executive producer, which made everybody angry as hell, of course. All the producers who wanted to be executive producer, all the other executive producers, everybody was angry and mad, mean and mad. But then, and that's when I, you know, after a couple of years of that, uh, you know, learning how a little bit about the operational part of the thing. Moved over to, uh, I got the job, the gig at, I actually sent uh, Grace Blazer of TKK an email. Um, I knew that they were hiring for Michael Graham's producer slot, and so I sent uh, the PD an email. I had suggested a job for a guy who was working for EI as kind of a cover. I assumed he wouldn't get it, so he was... Um, he was auditioning for the job. He had a good long resume. But it wasn't going to be a Graham kind of guy. So, uh, so I got uh, so I sent the the um, program director an email saying I think that I have solutions that could help you both your, both your web presence and for the Michael Graham show. And she called me immediately and said, "Hey, what's your deal?" <laughs> Which is cool. Uh, and I like ran out to a hallway to talk to her and I said, Hey, well, I think I'm available. I'd like to deal with you and, um, and, uh, move over there and be a producer for the show, which would be my first producer gig. And they made me an offer. And for the first time in my life, and remember this, other than not getting antiques into the house before you've checked for lead, I held out. I said, uh, no, I'm, you know, I've got a fiance, which I didn't have. Um, and, uh, she, if I'm not making this many thousands, uh, it's not going to work out for me. Can you see if you can get more? And she said, it's doubtful, but I can try. And she tried and got more. And I was like, man, so that's how that works. Um, and so, uh, that was that. And uh, from there I went to TKK, WTKK in radio 
and was a producer for the Michael Graham show, which was which was excellent because I was doing real pro, really, you know, you use your own creativity when you're a producer. And uh, even though management pushed against it, Graham brought me on the air again and again and again. To his credit, you know, I learned from him. I mean, I'm not saying I'm great, but you, you, trial by fire. So Graham would drag me on the air to read news stories, this or that. At first, I was very, it was, it was very nerve wracking, etc. But then, you know, after a while, you know, you do it again and again and again, and you know, you you start to breathe and you start to be able to talk in the air and and do things in there and started to get comfortable. And the best thing about him was that he'd bring me, he'd do the, he'd do this thing. It looks like it, like what you do with your hands to try to show a duck quacking, you know, cut, 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 with one hand, which meant that it was, he was going to throw it to me to start talking. And so in the early days, he would throw it to me to start talking. And he'd say like, for instance, I was uh, like, I was big into texting and driving. So he'd, he'd say, well, I don't know any idiot who would ever suggest that anybody needs to text and drive. And he'd have the hand going. So I knew I was about to be up and he'd point to me and I'd start defending texting and driving, which is not something I defend anymore. Anyway. Um, although I still do it. But um, so, so, and then I'd start speaking on the air and anybody who's been on the air, you know how this, how this is. I started speaking on the air and he would go away from the microphone and go check his computer and like drink his iced coffee. And I'm like, Jesus, I better keep talking here and, um, you know, make sure it's coming out. Uh, okay. There's no time. I had no time to think about it. No time to practice, no time to worry, but that was really good practice. And that is a credit to him for his, uh, either willingness to give me a shot or his, abject laziness in uh you know handing the show off to me in chunks but you didn't ask about any of that but the point is that i'll be on jerry's uh if you want to talk about more about my radio career and any of that stuff i'm 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 always happy to because i fell in love with radio and i i decided when i was a kid in my early teens that if i didn't do what i wanted to do um and had nothing going on by the time i hit 30 i would get into radio and really it took me you know 30 and some months but i did you know, get into it. Um, and I loved it. And, uh, and, um, so that is how that went. I am, uh, I am a radio fan and I have been listening forever. I could talk about radio stuff, Jim Bohannon. And, and I've met now a bunch of these guys at these radio conferences. One thing I've noticed, and now I understand why is like the, all of their headshots are 25 years old and they're all 60 pounds heavier than they were before, you know, which I can relate to. Right. <coughs> okay. Okay. So I don't, uh, I enjoyed talking tonight. You know, it's one of these nights. It's just fun to talk. You can, obviously, I thanks for everything, by the way. Feel free to email me at winchester at gmail.com. Two ends in that. At Tom Shattuck on Twitter. At Alice Shattuck is Alice Shattuck's uh, Twitter. And uh, I've got to feed the kids now. Feed the dogs. The chickens are locked in the coop because we're trying to treat, train them to have eggs where they should have eggs. Everybody's accounted for. We'll have another uh, TikTok with the chickens very shortly, I assume. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll uh, hang out tomorrow. Tomorrow morning on Jerry Callahan. Tomorrow night is our uh, pre-debate night. I don't know if we'll do something afterwards, but we'll do something at some point. Hang in there. Hang in there. All right. See you later. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.